I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a podcast on everything from employment to aircraft carriers. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Number Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. Today we're going to discuss artificial intelligence and what it means for data privacy and the threat that it could potentially pose uh, to data privacy. To discuss this with me, I have Rohan and Manoj. I want to start with you, Rohan. You've recently written about this. Why do you think AI poses a challenge to data privacy? So I wrote about this in the Tech and Herald, and uh, my argument here is that if an AI algorithm had enough of your data, then it doesn't need your name to identify you. So let's say an algorithm has your location data and payments data. So it knows that you know individual X, uh, let's call him, went to the grocery store and bought milk. If it does, if it knows, if it has enough data to sort of map this whole trajectory of where a person's going, what they're buying, then the name is that the name is irrelevant because um, there is no privacy anymore, and the conflict I see here is that the the more data that an AI learns from, the harder you know anonymity gets to achieve, to achieve. This brings me to so what are the the underlying mechanics of an AI? So AI algorithms um, they've they've taken up recently because they learn from data, right? A, a huge data set might not make sense to human eyes, but to an AI algorithm, um, you know, it's a different ball game altogether. So if an AI consumes enough data, it begins to get smarter. And that's why I think privacy is at a at an ending point as AI progresses. So what can we do about this? A couple things here. So firstly, um, it's not all bad for privacy because I've seen applications of AI that help enhance privacy. The, the first one was this uh, algorithm called Polices. What it does is it looks at the privacy policies of different companies and tells the consumer that you know how invasive the policy is. So there are some applications for AI in privacy, but um, at the same time, it, the very workings of AI are a threat. So what can be done about this is um, embed privacy by design. It's something that I've talked a bit about um, over the past few months. Right. So we could embed privacy by design. Um, there are certain techniques I know of homomorphic encryption and also differential privacy that are two certain methods that you could use to sort of make AI more pro-privacy. Uh, I think Manoj has a couple I think, examples. I think before we get into what these methods are, because they're obviously quite new and untested, um, I think the, one of the fundamental points is that um, how do we as individuals today, what do we think about our privacy? Also, a lot of this matters only when you start to worry about who knows who's watching and whether anybody's ever interested in you going out and buying milk. You know, um, a lot of us, when we are engaging on social media or on, on different apps that we use, uh, nobody really reads the privacy policies, really. You just say, yes, I agree to the terms and conditions, and you sign up to things. Um, and often there is the sense, uh, whether you are in a democratic or non-democratic country, there is a sense that... Um, the state anyway knows anything it wants to know about me, and the state will have more than enough tools it will have at its disposal to know what it wants to know about me. Um, so in that sense, how much privacy can I really expect to have? 
So that's sort of one thing. Uh, and also, how do I define what pri- what my privacy is given a certain frame of how... The narrative on that has shifted, right? I mean, my house is different, but, you know, and now given that there are going to be newer devices, this also enters my house. Uh, if my fan and my blender and my television and everything else is sort of IoT connected, it creates an entire new set of data. I mean, like, literally now, just by existing and doing very banal things, I create data which can be valuable to people. But do I want to see that as a matter of privacy? Uh, so is the is the issue their consent? Because I am entering into a willing bargain with Netflix when I'm choosing certain shows. Um, and I'm giving them the right to go and tailor their services to me further. Uh, and that's for efficiency, for quality and so forth. And I'm entering into that bargain, although I might not be reading the privacy document, right? Um, yeah, one sort of the analogy that springs into mind is that of the Panopticon. So just people who might not know, think of sort of a circular prison and in the middle of that circle is a guard tower that's open 24 hours but the guard can see all the prisoners and the prisoners can't see the guard hmm. so you so you never know as a prisoner who's watching you and when you're being watched and that is sort of what the game is here as well right you yeah. can give your data to google you don't know if anyone's actually you know watching you can give it to the state you don't know if if that's being used against you. Yeah. And th- that springs into mind. Yeah. And also, you know, just to take that guard analogy and the prison analogy forward, um, I am choosing that prison yeah. for uh, security in this case, but my the example that I gave of Netflix is that I'm choosing to part with that aspect of my privacy um, that you can, uh, you can actually enter into these domains of my preferences and you can therefore then tailor your services to me accordingly so that's so i think the issue there is consent uh, it's not so much uh, privacy so i think therefore these terms are sort of quite complicated when you go forward because at the end of the day particularly with algorithms becoming smarter and the potential to de-anonymize data you will need to have legal recourse you will need to have clear definitions of what is anonymous how should it be kept anonymous at what point and when is it suitable to use data which is anonymous to to essentially de-anonymize it if you need it for say law enforcement crime some of these things so you would have to need to come up with some so essentially what this tells me is that more than just the technology having an impact on us as individuals, it's going to have an impact on society as a whole. And you'll need to have really new legal codes to deal with this, uh, which then even need to sort of understand what the technology is like, how algorithms operate. And that then brings us back to this idea that essentially AI needs to be understandable. Hmm. You need to be able to understand the process. It has to be open in that sense. Because if you can't do that, and if you can't explain why the algorithm did what and how it did what it did. Um, it's very difficult then to legislate. We've so, actually talked about this uh, with AI. Fun- one of the fundamental problems is legal liability. Yeah. So, and this applies uh, to all sorts of fields. We've talked about autonomous weapons in the past, but even self-driving cars. Uh, and it applies to data. How does a company, when data ends up being misused, how does a company justify it? Can it wash its hands off saying, I don't know how the AI figured this out? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the things, right? That's And I think that's one of the challenges that we, you need to be able to... And that's why most AI ethics documents that you will read internationally, and even the Chinese sort of ethics documents, will talk about the need for transparent and explainable AI. Because the big fear is, if you don't know how 
a process takes place how you get from one the starting point to the end first it's going to be complicated to police it achieve desired ends and secondly to also attach legal liability if that's what you need to do uh, whether it's in case of uh, privacy violations or anything of the other anything any of that kind um, so i think that's probably the challenge to be able to do that because at the end of the day for at an individual level if there are 150 bits of data that are taken to reconstruct which individual is a certain way Uh, so let's take an insurance as an example, right? If uh, there are multiple bits of data to construct whether X's insurance rate should be higher than Y's, uh, and therefore, sort of, you take data which is de-anonymized, for example, with regard to say smoking, with regard to general obesity in the country or in a certain region or it's a certain city, um, lifestyles, age, so on and so forth, and then the insurer then comes up with a data set which says that. okay generally people in this city etc etc would get such a data but then if you sort of break it down further if you you know i might be a migrant and you break it down further and you then sort of give me a different rate those are the kinds of violations that you are basically basically talking about right yeah there have to be ways to block that and that will have to start with the idea of explainable ai also like getting back to legal liability and explainable ai um i feel like when you look at this and when we say that a company can wash their hands of the consequences of what an ai does um there's a certain information asymmetry here right because the the government doesn't know how the ai worked and came to the conclusion that it did if the company is at fault or not and the, there's a huge need to solve this information asymmetry also uh, having said that one more thing or a potential solution to this could be um having sunset clauses to legislations in regard to ai and it, this is necessary not just because of legal liability but just because the speed at which ai moves um the legislation that we make this year could be invalid next year yeah so it, it makes sense i mean i know that everyone in parliament is probably going to hate this idea of designing new laws for ai every you know 6 months mm. but where we are heading i i think it is hugely important that we do something like that if not exactly this then maybe have a broad mandate and establish a body under it that takes care of dynamic decisions but we need a better way to legislate where ai goes and what ai does i think firstly we need to understand the technology it's quite a rapid complicated shift that's happening very frequently if you have explainable ai the possibility of you to introduce elements for the algorithm to police itself to prevent it from taking bits of data and uh, you know de-anonymizing it and i think that is one of the things that could be sort of worked at which is i mean it's a technological solution it's not a human solution uh, it's not what you're necessarily feeding in every time you're feeding in data but it's one way where the algorithm works and that can only happen if this principle of explainable ai is continued and then there were these other solutions that you were talking about uh, homomorphic encryption uh, you know uh, differential privacy those sorts of things yeah, the examples uh, we tried to come up with for this one so uh, let me just talk about homomorphic encryption for a bit and from what i understood so the way this works is that let's say a business has a data set let's call that you know numbers 5 to 10 and it wants to derive insights from this so it sends this data set uh, to someone with, within the business or outside the business and um, what it does is this the business encrypts this data set so by multiplying 5 to 10 by 2 you get the numbers 10 to 20 and um, so the insights that are derived from this can then be sent back to the business and you can just decrypt the data set by dividing the whole thing by 2 and making your insights you know more readable the problem that i see here is that 
having a certain amount of data could i feel like to to some extent erode homomorphism homomorphic encryption so um, yeah I, i'm not entirely convinced by how you know how widely adoptable this is yeah that's an interesting argument right? that's about how how well the algorithms uh, learn and how you know the kind of data that they served how well they learn if there are patterns in your encryption uh, and if they start picking up on those patterns and they learn from them and then they mm. start to break it uh, and that then essentially renders this futile um the other was differential privacy which essentially says that you introduce a certain amount of randomness into your data set and again there is a clear limitation of that right the more randomness you introduce the more diluted your conclusions are likely to be yeah um and that's going to be then eventually problematic um so there is a limitation yeah. to all of this one thing that occurs to me is that both these uh, methods uh, work seem to work well with uh, anonymized data when you're trying to draw broad conclusions say from a group of people but that's not necessarily what the big data companies or we call tech companies are really are after right so they want to personalize your experience so whether it's google or netflix they're not trying to understand what everybody in a city does they're trying to understand what you do hmm. so at that point how does anonymization help yeah i think that's the tricky thing right i mean i think uh, if you think of it from the point of view of something like that a consumer service i think building firewalls between where my consent can be used so if i am consenting to say google maps and sharing my individual data as to where i am here i am this is the user um the ability of google there could be potentially legislation which says that you can't use x kind of information gathered for x purposes for something else um and if you have to use it for something else then it has to be as a set so instead of then looking at uh, one individual or two individuals you say that well a million people in bangalore use google maps you know so the usage numbers and that's how you take and a million trips happen those million people end up traveling sort of you know booking cabs using google maps or whatever and and that's data set that you take as opposed to necessarily individual so therefore you have consent which is very specific that could be one method um the other method is that yes on certain things uh, i am giving up a part of my privacy for a better service experience so particularly when it's something like say your personal service like a netflix or youtube or something like that but for google to be able to use data from my youtube usage to my location to my travel and then aggregated and created data set about me that's where the problem lies but it can use these subsets individually uh, along with the broader subset of say youtube users in bangalore and things like that and then do something separately so my consent then has to be specific uh, and i should be reading what i sign off on which is a good thing to do but it's very difficult to do it these are very long boring complex documents but at the end of the day that's what one has to do that's the hygiene factor um yeah no, that's a pretty good insight um one thing that i recently learned uh, on i was reading a book and they told me about a supply side problem in data data just follows diminishing returns so the idea here is that in a data set the early units are going to be more valuable than the later units right so the 100 data unit is more valuable than the millionth because after a point of time you've got a fairly good insight on how these things work and i i feel like that's really important to understand because if we keep contributing our data so it's going to follow diminishing returns after a while after the inflection point right so the policy has to be before we reach that inflection point yeah. we need we need to limit insights about us before the inflection point so that 
most legislation is focused because after a point of time the companies are going to you know, know enough about you to not need your data anymore hmm. i mean theoretically at least so um yeah as far as legislation about data goes i think that's also a pretty good insight that they should keep in mind yeah i'm sure that people's habits will change and at some point some data will suddenly become uh, more effective but i just want to push back on this idea of consent i don't think that we are equipped to give consent because we don't understand the legalities and uh, we don't quite understand how our data might be used 20 years from now in ways that we don't like when you pay somebody 100 rupees for something uh, you're not affected by how they use that 100 rupees but when you give your data to somebody you're stuck for life it's jeremy bentham's prison you're <laughs> stuck there and uh, you do know someone's watching you ai is always watching yeah um that's a really good point and the fact is that uh, that's very very tricky and uh, unless there is a better model on which you can do this you will have to because if you're going to decide informed consent you know people have been picking up insurance deals people have been uh, signing for mutual funds and i'm certain a large number of people don't understand those market risks that are involved in these documents um yet we've been doing it and it's justified as informed consent and that's a very rudimentary example and i think to expect people to understand implications of something which is so rapidly developing is extremely difficult is extremely complicated i mean i don't think anybody can make a case that it is obviously completely fully informed consent but it is informed to the point where you know this is what you're giving up what could be the implications of what you're giving up is sort of like that bargain with the crossroads demon where you know there's something that's going to be coming your way but you don't know what it is but at least you're doing this given the amount of knowledge that you have and i think unless we have a better model than that it's not perfect but unless we have a better model than that that will be the model it's very difficult i can't imagine a better model than that but yeah if uh, if anybody has a better model than that i'm certain there's a nobel waiting for them <laughs> i i especially worry about uh, i think we're being most unfair to children who have grown up in this period because they have no ability to give consent and then they're they're all over social media and so on Yeah and so yeah so software robots have already picked apart their lives yeah, <laughs> yeah. i agree with that very uplifting thought there so yes <laughs> don't share your baby's pictures on facebook <laughs> um no yeah i mean i agree uh, yeah. and there's so much peer pressure you want to be there cuz that's where you're engaging with everybody uh, but then i guess that's the new public space so you can't really help it and you're going to engage over there legislation can build in safeguards at least in terms of cross purpose use of data in terms of defining what privacy would mean in this era because uh, the notion of privacy has changed so at least if you can if we can come to a new definition of what privacy would entail um and look at what data is used for if you're giving specific consent um and therefore uh, also then look at technological solutions in terms of algorithms we would have probably started to address concerns to some degree also is getting back to the point about kids not understanding um, what they're giving up I don't think that's valid to just kids um a lot of us I uh, I agree that was that's why I said consent we're not in a position yeah. to give consent Yeah exactly so um if you're not in a position to give consent maybe we should be working on devising uh, a framework on how we can understand privacy because it it's so it seems so abstract that you don't know what you're losing but if we had um you know I don't know maybe a personal stalker analogy to um you know better define this something more concrete that's always visible um i think that that might really help us i think i'm going to just 
make this point to everybody who's listening to this conversation. You can just see how complex and how difficult some of this is given the analogies that we've grasped of. We went from prisons to... Demon in the crossroads. Demon on the crossroads <laughs> to right now something else. And A personal stalker. Person, yeah, so personal stalkers, yes. So, so it just tells you how complex some of this is to understand. And if it's that difficult to just grasp, uh, I think asking for informed consent where everybody understands everything that they're giving up. Given that stuff, data that you might have surrendered in 1995 can be used in 2035 for some purpose. Um, you know, and you're never going to be able to anticipate that. Right. Um, and just to have come full circle to AI here, I think right now it's relatively safer in, in terms of how AI and privacy are interacting because a lot of uh, AI is still under research and development. But as, or narrow AI as you say it, but uh, as and when algorithms start to improve, get more complex, data will start meaning more to them. I'm not going to say that a artificial general intelligence might happen sometime soon or may not happen. I, I don't want to comment on that. But algorithms will get better. So a- every passing day, data means more to AI. And um, on that very optimistic thought, um, privacy might not you know, live for very long. Wonderful. So whenever we have these privacy podcasts, it's always characteristically uplifting. (laughs) But yeah, but they're also very thought provoking. And uh, I think these conversations continue long after we have left this podcast room. Uh, So that wraps up our podcast for today. Uh, And thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. We'd love to hear what you think about this chat. Check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila Inst on our Quora space, All Things Policy. For the latest analysis and research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, visit our website at takshashila.org.in and tune in for our next episode.